Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geek. Flight 61 to Marseille. Hi, Alex. Hey, Paul. How are you? Very good. We're going to Marseille, not only because we're going to talk a lot about Europe in this episode, but also because you've been there and we're lacking sun here in London. We are lacking sun. We had a lovely weekend, but now it's uh, regularly scheduled weather. But yes, I did, I did go to Marseille a couple of weeks ago. Very interesting airport. I think I've actually never been. I've been to Nice, which is not very far from there. So, I mean, you know, I'm very curious to understand how uh, interesting is that airport. Yeah, there's... <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. Just little tidbits here and there. I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about it. And how cool was that episode with Mark the last oh, episode? So cool. So many interesting <laughs> stories. I mean, it was it was nice because it was just the three of us geeking out, really. Yeah. And I'm we glad that had... I mean, the reception has been so positive. So thank you guys for that. That's what I was about to say. That there's been so much feedback that I probably won't have time to actually gather it all for an episode but really thank you guys we've got also another new listener so hi everybody <laughs> hello thank you for tuning in <laughs> uh so really thank you and thank you mark again because we really had fun there's actually some stuff that I left on the cutting floor and there were other jokes that we were really like rambling as geeking out and it just didn't fit in the episode but as we said at the end of the last episode we're gonna redo something with mark at some point because he's, uh, it's just too much fun to Yeah, it is. It really is fun. And, and it's so cool to be able to ask so many of these questions that, that we always wonder about to an actual pilot of one of our favorite airplanes as well. So it's uh, it's a great opportunity. We had a lot of fun doing it. So, uh, well, yeah, since we are on people talking about, you know, giving us feedback, I've been promising that for like, I think, three episodes. So let's go a little <laughs> bit of the reviews because... We like to acknowledge people that take the time to write to us, or write on iTunes, or write on Facebook. So first we got, and I think I mentioned that two episodes ago, uh, we got an email from Matt. Uh, that was an amazing email. It's actual fan mail. I mean, I'm sure you, Alex, must get that a lot because, you know, you're a superstar now with your attache. Uh, <laughs> Hardly. But yeah, this was <laughs> such a, an amazing email. Oh, come on. You were recognizing the lounge. Was it not in the Ether lounge? Were you not recognizing someone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're a superstar. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's uh, an altogether new sensation for me, so I'm still getting used to it. But yeah, this uh, Matt just sent us this wonderful email from Yale, which makes uh, makes me very excited from Yale, uh, the University of America. Just, just saying it, there's a lot going on, and I love how uh, he likes our – we described our Orly at some point as a crap shack detention center and Schoenfeld as a refugee processing center uh, just because of their um, – slightly drab interiors but i like that people rem remember these descriptions <laughs> the description we use yeah and also of course the uh the bus at Charles de Gaulle, the huge tunnel on Frankfurt between Terminal B and Z. I mean, all these. He even said that he's actually been uh, in touch with Mark, our you know guest in the last episode. So he's really a navy geek. And I mean, just Matt. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, we probably, you know, he, he seems to be knowing a lot of stuff about airports. So maybe we'll just invite you one day to talk about it as well, because and we he, need here's to expand a, our view. A, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's got this his beautiful blog, which he writes, amongst other things, about some of his travels. And they really are, uh, it's beautiful writing. So if you get the chance, it's medfly.org. Yes, medfly.org. Uh, his website. 
So thank you so much, Matt. We really do appreciate. And I want to apologize because I never actually replied to the email, which I'm going to do. By the way, guys, we're recording today. It's September uh, 25th. We're both about to travel, uh, which is why we're recording today. And you're not listening to this at least before early October. <laughs> so hi from the past, guys. Um, <laughs> so the, I know, a few iTunes, uh, a few reviews, a few that have been actually quite a lot. Uh, one is from John. Uh, they're all five stars. Uh, tap in the back, Alex. Uh, Hi, guys. I recently discovered the podcast, and I don't know how I missed it. It is fantastic. Uh, He's also a a One World Emerald member. He loves uh, lounge hopping, especially in Hong Kong. So he has something in common with you and me, Alex. He's been binge listening to the shows. I, I, I always... Feel bad for these people because I'm not sure how <laughs> it is to listen to Alex and me rambling for 60 episodes in a row. <laughs> yeah, Especially that's a lot of listening. And our earlier episodes were not as uh, sharp, probably, as as, as today's. Uh, he actually has a YouTube channel where he does actually trip reports. The thing is, there's no link in your iTunes review. So, John, please send us via Facebook message, Twitter, just with the actual link of your YouTube channel. We'll be very glad to not only check it out, but also mention it in the air. Uh, another, uh, uh, another review Daking is the best from the US. Yeah. Uh, a great listen. Even though I'm not an airline geek, I'm still enjoying listening to, as Alex and Paul are great personalities. Thank you. That's and very guess, kind. Uh, uh, Craig, uh, the geekiest podcast I subscribe to, and I love it. <laughs> I discovered layovers via Alex YouTube travel channel attache. Also amazing. By the way, guys, just yesterday, September 24th, you have your new episode, Rome, that was just released. It's pretty cool. I love that city. And But I mean, you, you say that it's on the bucket list of probably a lot of travelers to go yeah. to Rome. Uh, but and I've it been... has great airports, too. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't go to Ciampino, so I don't know about it. But certainly, uh, Fumicino was uh, impressive. So Ciampino is... Uh, I've actually never been to it either. It's more of the low cost now. That I think yeah. Ryanair... We're going to talk about Ryanair in this episode. Ryanair flies there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I remember actually being at a concert I think I mentioned that I was uh, I went to see Iron Maiden and they were literally just next to the airport. So we were listening to the concerts and we're seeing the planes landing. Anyway, congratulations, Alex, for that. Uh, Thank you very episode. much. It's really I really enjoyed it. Uh, so Craig says he used to travel between 120 to 150 thousand miles a year for over five wow. years, and now he's he's cut down, so he's actually living vicariously <laughs> with us. Craig, thank you, because not only he did this uh, review on iTunes, but he did do almost the same on Facebook. So thank you for taking the time to actually doing it both. <laughs> That's really kind. Times. Thank you. It's very kind, Craig. We really do appreciate it. Soren reviewed also five stars on Facebook. He says, I really enjoy listening to your podcast and always look forward to the next episodes. We're trying to be more uh, regular, guys. Uh, keep it up. If you are not already an aviation enthusiast, you sure will be after following Alex and Paul on layovers, trying nice. to convert more and more people. This one I love from uh, Roy5, I guess. As wise as it is hilarious, uh, uh, five stars on iTunes. Witty and insightful, Alex and Paul provide us with the gift of describing air transportation in all of its joy and absurdity. They have found an inviting space between professionalism and thoughtful editorials with colorful anecdotes and self-deprecating jokes. <laughs> One gets the impression that they enjoy making their podcast as much as we like hearing it. Honestly, guys, 
yeah, I will admit that we're having a lot of fun actually doing it with Alex. Otherwise, I don't think we would be uh, putting all the hours to put that podcast out. Uh, and the last sentence, I'm sorry to, to do the entire description of that one, but I think it's really cool. Uh, in, yeah. the steely world, in the steely world of airports full of delays, security nightmares, and angry crowds, Alex and Paul bring a sense of fun and camaraderie. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to do this. And last one uh, from JezB underscore UK. Uh, great even from the armchair traveler. A really relaxed yet incredibly enthusiastic pairing of Alex and Paul make this show a great listening. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I've received also a lot of uh, email, uh, Facebook messages. Keep it up. I'll try to... But I want to go on to go to travel now. I'll try to uh, mention all these names. Special mention to a friend of mine. I think you know him maybe as well. Uh, Jeremiah Haoyang. Uh, he's been listening to our show. He keeps calling it Destinations. Jeremiah, this show is called Layovers. I don't know for why he keeps talking <laughs> said that our podcast is called Destinations. Uh, he's been sending me actually pictures also because he's, he's lucky also to travel uh, both domestically in the US. He's based uh, in the Valley, in Silicon Valley, and uh, internationally. And he's been, for instance, sending me recently the picture of the Air Canada product in uh, business class, which I've never ah, flown. No, neither have I. Well, I don't think I've ever actually flown Air Canada. I need to, maybe when I was a kid. And he says something, and I just wanted, because since we're starting to talk about traveling now. Uh, they say that they collect noise-canceling headsets in business class before landing. Uh, what's your take on that? Do you see most... I mean, I use mine, so I never get it run into the problem because usually yeah. I just use mine's. Do you use yours now or do you sometimes... I use, use, the one I use mine pre- predominantly. Um, and I remember having that situation where they would collect the headsets early on. Virgin used to do it in economy, we're talking five, six years ago. I haven't flown on Virgin in a while. But that was in the days before gate-to-gate IFE. And Ah. so taking them away now, if you have gate-to-gate IFE before you've landed, seems um, a bit frustrating, I suppose, as a passenger. Gate-to-gate IFE is not all the aircraft. I've seen BA cutting (laughs) the IFE before we actually land. Or Iberia, I think, did that as well, which is very frustrating because for some reason, some airlines haven't got the memo yet or something. (laughs) Do you think it's a decision by the crew or is it a policy? I think it must be a policy thing. I think it has to be a policy thing. I know that BA play a charity video before you land, and that's fine. But in my last several flights with BA that have had IFE, it's gone all the way through to the gate. Defending BA, I think BA, the flight I'm mentioning, was a wide body, but that I took within Europe. So maybe that's why. Um, so Emirates, which I'm taking tomorrow to fly to to Bahrain via Dubai, actually also plays a promotional video uh, at the end. So that also cuts your IFE. Sometimes you kind of restart the IFE afterwards. And sometimes it guys After the fly. video, after the, cha- the Dubai video finishes. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I'll tell you guys after I've traveled because maybe the crew has to press a button or something and they just forget about it because they're busy <laughs> preparing the flight for landing. Uh, we don't get IFE in uh, Ryanair, right? <laughs> so, no. Uh, for those guys, because maybe we have also people that have listened to the last show that are new, we do not only talk about Europe, although Alex and myself are based in London. We actually balance quite well. Uh, and Ryanair, although uh, people, of course, link it with Europe because it's European-based and has European operations, 
the impact and the importance of that airline in the world is actually pretty much understated because I don't think a lot of people realize that not only it's the first airline in Europe, it's the most important airline in terms of passenger traffic in Europe. It has uh, almost 90 million passengers carried. It's currently 90 million. It's almost 120 million a year. It's actually bigger than the Lufthansa Group. The Lufthansa Group is, you know, Lufthansa, Swiss, Austrian and Brussels Airlines, right? So there are four airlines and they're smaller than Ryanair. So Ryanair is really, really a big airline. They're and huge. It's, and it's also the fifth biggest airline in that same metric in the world. Yeah. I think it's just the Americans are in front of them, so the three big ones plus uh, Southwest. It is really the biggest with Southwest, the biggest low-cost airline in the world. And they're having a lot of issues. You want to run them down. <laughs> they are having a huge, huge... And I think it... It's, it seems like it's, to use a overused phrase, a perfect storm of issues that I think in isolation would be reasonably innocuous. But because they've somehow managed to happen at all at the same time, it has been disastrous for them. Essentially, the way that they planned the holiday allocation for pilots in combination with some weather and air traffic control delays, which then prevented pilots from taking that leave, it meant they had this huge backlog of holiday which needed to be taken, was, it was legally required to be taken. And so that, that meant that they were going to have huge blocks of time between now and the end of the year where pilots had to be on holiday, which in turn meant they wouldn't have enough pilots to fly the published schedule. And the more, and I think it's happened in the space of about 48 hours, the more information that came out, the bigger this problem appeared to be. To, and then it got to the point where they were having to cancel 40 to 50 flights every single day for six weeks because they just had this shortage of available pilots. Not shortage of rostered pilots, but just available pilots because of this holiday issue. And it's really bitten them in the butt, it's, frankly. It's, it's, it's just insane. And, and also it's insane the way they handled it because – at the beginning, there was a lot of the usual excuses. You know, there was weather, there was uh, French air traffic control. You know, the French ATC are bad because they go on strike all the time. But they yes. don't that much so that it's an excuse for every single other airline in, in Europe, right? So there was, for like the first bit, that was it. And then they started like going out. That it was really mishandled in terms of communication. Yes. And then... Obviously, it blew up because we're talking, again, this is why I was mentioning the importance of the airline. It's really, it's bothering, it's canceling not only holidays, but trips, even business trips, because nowadays a lot of actually companies are using low-cost airlines yeah. in Europe to do like. I, I mean, uh, the joke is, well, did they, you know, uh, flights on Ryanair can be sometimes as low as like, you know, 10 quid, so 10 pounds, which is roughly what, like $14 or whatever. So did they also pay $14, the guys who do like uh, handle like the, the holidays for pilots or something? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it, it's really kind of snowballed very quickly. And it's one of those things that you think that you would have seen coming, but I gather from what I can see, it was just this combination of issues that all happened to come to head at the same time. But it's going to cost them about 25 million euros in lost revenue and in EU 261 compensation. But not only have they disappointed a lot of people, they were terrible at communicating which of the flights were going to be canceled. So people were in limbo, not knowing if their business trips, like you say, or their the trip of a lifetime or honeymoons were going to actually take place. They have, you know, people... 
I heard on the radio who had all of these other arrangements, rental cars, holiday homes, hotel, all that stuff, weddings, all booked. But they didn't know if their flight was going to go. You know, we're talking 12 hours before the flight was supposed to happen. And as a result of this, Ryanair have said they would offer pilots a 10,000 euro pay rise in exchange for helping them out on top of another cash bonus they've already offered. Yeah, but that's that happened only after a row because at the beginning, O'Leary, the, the founder and CEO of Ryanair, was basically saying, you know what, we're going to force you to have a week off, right? And then yeah. the pilots, of course, reacted instead of going depressed, saying, you know what, the working conditions at Ryanair suck. So suddenly Ryanair went from being like, you know, this arrogant how they can be sometimes, you know, especially O'Leary, which also where we we like him. I'm not saying saying that always always positively because he's always like this guy who's going to say, you know, he's going to call everybody else out, you know, yeah. stop, cut the crap now. He went through this kind of attack towards the pilots and the crews, and then suddenly, of course, the pilots and the crews started writing in the press. There's been article. There's been this famous uh, phone call on LBC, which is a, 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 a radio here in the UK, where one of the pilots describes or for what he says, being horrendous work conditions, suddenly Ryanair can see that there has been a shift in communication. They went from aggressive, arrogant, to defensive. And now they're like, okay, we're going to give you like a 10,000 here. It's not like, oh, we don't need you for a week. It's not, oh, we're going to give you cash or you shut up, basically, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah a- it, it's been a bit of a PR nightmare for them. And I think, you know, what, what the pilots have done, and, you know, for better or worse, this is just the facts, is that they've started to use this as leverage for renegotiating contracts. Yeah. Which, you know, I think anyone in their situation would have at least considered that op- option. But it's really been a huge uh, – and, you know, the people I feel worse for are the people whose plans are being ruined, who have got trips planned and, uh, you know, and no longer are able to. If you are listening to this and you have had it, do not forget to claim EU-261 compensation. You are absolutely entitled – to it on top of anything else yeah. that they offer you. A lot of airlines kind of count on you not to do it, basically. <laughs> they count on <laughs> you not to do it, and they're not going to be proactive in saying, go and get EU 261 compensation. Yeah. Yeah. So there are there are a few um, boxes that you have to tick to make sure that you're eligible for it. Your flight is in less than 14 days from now. If they tell you uh, after two weeks, um, so if your flight is in greater than two weeks, you are not eligible for it. But you should really look into it because it's it can be a reasonable chunk of change, which I know does not ever compensate for ruined plans, but you are owed it. This bit, obviously, the, the usual stuff that happens after any row with any airline in the world is you go on Twitter or on Facebook and you have like boycott Ryanair, hashtag Ryanair mm-hmm. shit, hashtag I hate Ryanair, hashtag Ryanair rubbish, etc., etc., etc. The thing is, and I'm going to be the cynic in the room here, uh, probably Alex probably agrees with me. People do that, but then they will flock back to Ryanair because it's yeah, of cheap. Course. Uh, it's, it's just, I mean, Let's not pretend that as if Ryanair was suffering on the long term here. They might be hit, of course, what you, and you rightly said, uh, Alex, by uh, costs because they have to endure not only the compensation, which is limited because, as you say, you cannot claim compensation for a flight that's due in eight weeks or something. It's really cl- flights that are close to your yeah. departure date. From there on, I my take is that the biggest potential liability, I mean, 
will not be financial. It won't be like loss of revenue in terms of passengers refusing to fly with them because that never happens. It's still cheap and people are just price sensitive when it comes to flying. But mm -hmm. what might happen is that Ryanair is interested in buying the scraps of Alitalia. Uh, Alitalia being bankrupt, Alitalia kind of finding someone to sell it Maybe just the planes. It's it's not. It's still you know uh, very up in the air. Rainer will never buy the old middle management. I, I think I think I've said it. Maybe this number on this podcast already. I think the management of of Alitalia, which is a smaller airline than Ryanair is more than 2,000 people. Ryanair is like 150 people. So you can see that that's Ryanair will not actually. Isn't it? <laughs> that's, but meaning that certainly maybe the Italian government or the judicial committee that needs to decide what happens to Alitalia might not want to actually go for uh, Ryanair. And also Ryanair was trying now to play more and more nice with business people, uh, uh, having more interlining agreements with BA to say, oh, now you can hop from a Ryanair flight to a BA long haul, for instance. All these kind of, I'm not saying they're going to disappear. I'm going to say that they were trying to be more credible in the market as not just the low cost going to Ibiza airline. Right. And maybe that they will get a bit hit. I don't know if you agree with that. I, I do. I think the things that will keep people coming back to them are, like you said, cost. And also, they still have the best on-time performance record of any airline in Europe. When you're a business traveler and to an extent a leisure traveler, that's important. You know, they'll, they'll shrug this off. But I still think they're going to – the long-term effect in my mind is – is this pilot relation thing because one of the other um, factors in this was that they're losing pilots to Norwegian amongst others and O'Leary and the CEO of Norwegian had a public spat recently about this <laughs> this very topic and yeah. it's it's all it's all well and good if people have short term memories about problems like this but if you can't deliver if this happens again because they are losing pilots to competitors or their pilots are leaving because they really feel like they're getting a raw deal. And I don't know. I don't know enough about no, but a pilot's right. life. But I they think won't you're right. put up with that. I think you're right because also pilots that go through the training at Ryanair are not the – you know, the training program in terms of quality is good in terms of what you have to pay. It's not the best deal you can get. Deals with major airlines that are better but it's harder to get into. A lot of pilots, at least from what we're reading these past days but also from what we've been reading before – are not like especially enamored with Ryanair. So now we know that there's a, a pilot shortage, but only in Europe, in China. I mean, I'm not saying that everybody who lives in Europe will be ready to just move in China, pack the bags and move there like in a, in a, in a minute. But the salaries they've been offering all around the world to attract pilots that are already trained, which is the case in their 737. So there's a very widely popular plane. I mean, like you say, I think Ryanair could end up with having an issue because there's no sense of loyalty at all. With zero hours contract, the lens of loyalty is in the crapper. There's no loyalty whatsoever. You just, yeah. it's transactional, right? It is, it is. And I think there's this growing disparity between the juniors, is such a condescending word, but the, 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 the rookie pilots that are coming in and, and sitting in the right seat and doing these, a lot of turns and the senior, more senior captains and first officers from what I understand, and I only glean that in the U.S. I don't know if it's the same problem as here, but there have been a lot of blogs. And actually, you're right. You go on Twitter. Not only are people, you know, using the hashtags and boycott Ryanair and all that. It's I, f I follow quite a lot of pilots on Twitter, mainly because they post beautiful pictures and videos from yeah. the from the flight deck. But they have taken to Twitter to 
contest a lot of the claims that are coming out of the Ryanair PR machine about the number of hours they work, yeah, what yeah, that yeah, means yeah. in reality. And that's been that's been fascinating to read. And I think it really does yep. highlight the problem that you were just talking about of, you know, living wage for pilots, the general shortage of pilots. I mean, those as far as I'm concerned, and perhaps I'm oversimplifying this issue, ordinarily, if you have a shortage of something, the price of it goes up. I mean, that's economics 101, right? But that doesn't seem to be the case for pilots. And I'm, I'm wondering how long that you know, it can be sustainable. Perhaps not very. Maybe we're seeing the, the, the early stages of, of a real shift in this. In Asia, we're seeing an increase because there was, I think, was it what, Malaysian Airlines uh, pilots and they all went to China. They were like, there's been these paths happening. Maybe mobility is not as easy as we might think it is. You know, it's, again, like I said earlier, maybe it's just not easy to say, oh, you know what, I'm just going to leave in, I don't know, Hainan or something. I, I, you know, like just moving. But it's, it's, an, it's an industry I, that I don't know a lot about in terms of, you know, pilot contracts and availability and... You know, because you're always going to hear the extremes one assumes from either party, into the pilots or the airline. It would be very interesting to understand the reality of the situation, because I think we're going to be hearing more and more about this as the next couple of years go by. You, you mentioned the spat between Ryanair and Norwegian. Of course, Norwegian is now the, uh, the other big uh, rising low-cost airline in Europe, but also because they do long call, which is something that Ryanair hasn't started doing. We know they have been mulling it forever, but will they ever start? We don't know. But there's been a spat. I actually read, I don't have the source in front of me now, but earlier he said... Uh, the CEO of, of, of Ryanair said that Norwegian won't pass winter. <laughs> yeah, that was a... He, 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 doesn't, uh, he doesn't pull his punches, does he? No. <laughs> so there was some news about Norwegian. You just sent me just before we started recording the show. They finally got the DOT approval solidly in the US. So that's a good thing. Yeah, right? for, their, for their UK operation, which is a big deal. Because, uh, yeah, that's the other thing. You know, uh, Norwegian has multiple uh, HQs, basically. EasyJet does that as well. EasyJet has an HQ mm -hmm. in, in Switzerland. We'll have to open another one in Europe because of uh, Brexit and Ryanair might open. I mean, the, it's complicated. But the one from Norwegian was that DOT was kind of delaying forever the approval. And one of the things what the unions were complaining that, again, something that we maybe have to talk about one day about these the way these pilots and the crews are being treated is not fair. Thus, it's unfair competition in the U.S. Thus, they shouldn't have their approval. Well, apparently, they still got it after the yeah. EU the DOT said, you know rejected those those arguments, and and here we yeah. are. We've got another transatlantic integrated transatlantic experience, which is great. I think it just puts pressure on the majors to, to up their game. But also because at some point the EU said, guys, if we have open skies, we have open skies. Or if we don't have open skies, then we don't. But you can have it both ways when you have no. open skies, but you're blocking one airline or you're just delaying because it was they were not blocking. They were forever delaying the decision, which is really like... Yeah, you can't, you don't get to pick and choose how the open skies is implemented to suit your needs yeah. <laughs> you know, or your competitive <laughs> advantage, as it were. <laughs> And the other uh, big spat that O'Leary had was with the German government. So that's the other big news. We, we're going to go like, um, you know, this movie from uh, Nolan, uh, Memento. We're yes. going back in time with more clues. It's a bit what we're doing today because we're having news that started a few months ago and are, are getting to their conclusion now. And we are taking the pieces backwards. So Erberlin got bankrupt. After Etihad removed itself from the equation, Air Berlin says, oh, well, we don't have any money anymore. Goodbye. So we're just going bankrupt. The plan is that 
and I'm saying that too abruptly, the plan is that Lufthansa takes over Air Berlin. Of course, it's not exactly like that, but this is a bit what is going to happen, yeah. by the way. Which, of course, led Ryanair as well here saying, hey, come on, this is like collusion. You are friends with Lufthansa. You're protecting your own environment. And thus, I wanted to beat for Air Berlin. Of course, again, probably for parts of Air Berlin, not the entire uh, airline. I'm not going to beat for it. I mean, he was very, very uh, uh, unhappy about it. Have you ever flown Air Berlin yourself? No, I haven't. Although... Uh, I am always surprised. I go to places and there they are. They, they have had an extraordinary long, broad reach. Like they flew to San Francisco. They flew to it's crazy, lots yeah? of places. Yeah. It was really surprising. And you know, it's nice to see, uh, regional and international competition, but I've never flown on them. No, I know people that have, but I certainly haven't. They were an American charter airline at their very inception. They were I not did not German know that. Airline. They were, uh, set up to kind of do the bridge, you know, how Berlin was considered in the ethos of the U.S. I think it was even from Oregon or something, Ohio. I don't I don't remember, to be honest with you. Maybe it's written somewhere on Wikipedia. They were the second biggest German airline. That's the thing. I didn't even realize that. Of course, Lufthansa is so big. And Lufthansa has Eurowings and German wings with it. But they were like a pretty, pretty big deal, actually, right? But isn't that also the kind of the... Uh, the end of the story for Etihad. Etihad, you know, invested in Alitalia. Yeah. Alitalia goes bankrupt. Etihad invested in Air Berlin. Air Berlin goes bankrupt. I'm not saying that Etihad did bankrupt these airlines, but were they not investing in airlines that might yeah, not have had... Yeah, that's an interesting pattern, to... isn't it? I think perhaps uh, they were grabbing at, at falling knives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, they were getting a bargain on these airlines that they thought that at the time looked like an unlimited pile of money. Uh <laughs> ran out very quickly when shareholders lost patience and it's sad you know i don't like seeing airlines go out of business no but, no no of course not and i know that in both of those cases alitalia and air berlin the infrastructure the assets and most importantly the people will be reallocated to whoever acquires them but it means there's one less livery in the skies one yeah. less differentiating experience and then more consolidation which is never ever good yeah, and Berlin had some quite cool uh, liveries over the year, actually. Look them up, guys. The first one was actually super... It was very 70s-ish, but I really liked it. So it's the the big failure for Etihad. Etihad still has, uh, I think, stakes at Air Seychelles and... Was it like Serbian Air or, or Air Serbia? Or yeah, something? and Darwin think. in Switzerland, don't they still yeah, have this? Yeah, you're right. That's, I think so, Darwin. You used to be Babu, yeah, F7. But they really are going... It looks like Etihad is going back into a more kind of boutique... Airline. I'm saying that because Emirates is huge and it will remain huge most probably. Qatar yeah. probably will remain, but they have their issues with their, especially the current ban over the airspace, etc. But Etihad, I don't know what play there is for them now because <laughs> if they don't have any of these interlining agreements, uh, they still have Jet Airways as well in India, right? But oh, uh, yeah. apparently this one is unwinding as well. I've heard something that I don't know. We'll see. That also leads to another interesting point because, Alex, you had mentioned that many times for the U.S., the, the ownership rules. You know, ownership rules in the yes. U.S. is like 25%. Uh, for no more than 49%. But it's... it's no, that's uh, in it, Europe. In the U.S. it's 25, right? Uh, or maybe it Europe is 25. You're right. But I think it's it's one of those rules that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's open right? to interpretation. Money is money, right? Yeah, and ownership does not equal control. You exactly. Could have, you could have 30% of an airline. See, so that's the thing here in Air Berlin, because that's, I think it's a very good example. So Air Berlin, uh, Etihad never had more than, than 20, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was almost 30%. So it was not, by far, not 49%. But 
when they recapitalized the last time, I think it was almost maybe 700 or 800 million euros. So we're talking a lot of money. Wow. Instead of going into equity, so that would have shot them above the 49%, they did a bond. They said, okay, mm-hmm. well, there, there's the money, but we don't have, we would have control. But come on, who is actually has the reins of the company? And also they had, and that's also something that is very interesting because that could be also something that happens in the US one day. They had bought and fully controlled the frequent flyer program of Air Berlin. So if you had respected the European rules of not having more than 49%, but they were actually controlling the airline. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. You know, frankly, why would they invest or buy that much of an airline and not want to exert a substantial amount of control in improving its fortunes? Yeah, yeah exactly. It was a perpetually convertible bond. That was the thing. I remember that Etihad uh, admitted to uh, recapitalize Air Berlin in the last time before they said, you know what, let's cut the losses and let's, let's get out of here. Uh, the reason I mentioned that is that recently, I don't know if you if you follow that, um, Delta and China Eastern both bought 10% of Air France KLM. Yes, uh, uh, right? which has had a knock-on relationship to Virgin Atlantic as well. So they're really strengthening that. Well, it's an alliance kind of, but that, that Delta, Air France, KLM, Virgin Atlantic, China Eastern pact. Sky Team, basically. Yeah. Sky Team, yeah. But I... Maybe you're going to explain this, but I've never really understood the value of investing in these, you know, ownerships of a, of a of an alliance like that. Like, what 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 exactly is the point? No, I, you're I already think... sharing in the efficiencies by virtue of the fact that you're in an alliance. Yeah, I think it's mostly a financial decision. It's mostly diversifying your investment. For the Chinese, is very clear, right? The Chinese, we said it many times. They have their eyes on international targets because they have cash. They don't know what the Chinese government is going to do with, <laughs> are they going to start going to block investments because they don't want to have money emerging abroad. So Delta, because they're making a lot of money. So maybe it was simply a financial decision, like investment decision and say, you know, mm-hmm. Air France is one of the, Air France KLM is one of the biggest group in the world in terms of, uh, for, for the airline industry. Or was it, and that's also maybe interesting, was it, okay, if the Chinese are going there, we need to make sure, because of what I just said about control and ownership, we need to make sure that they don't start actually controlling Air France uh, one day. Mm-hmm. So we're going to also kind of, you know, match their 10%. So we have, because, you know, the Chinese are the next Middle East. That's Eastern, interesting. You know, I don't know, right? Maybe it could be that. I have no idea, to be honest. But it's funny that on, I was reading the French press, uh, guys, you know, I, I, I speak and read French. 10% seems nothing. All the headlines were, is Air France transforming into a Chinese airline? The fear is there, so maybe that's why Delta it, decided to. Uh, yeah, that that took. It's so it was more of a defensive move to protect their influence within that alliance. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. I know that I know that one of the secondary motivators for a lot of Chinese businesses to invest overseas is hedging, uh, currency hedging. Right. Which is probably another reason that this sizable investment took place. But that's it's interesting, isn't it? All right, I hadn't thought about it in those terms. In Europe, I think also like uh, there's a few others. Uh, Hainan uh, partially con- owns uh, Cargolux, so we're talking fri- freight cargo here. And uh, Korean Air uh, had, remember, they had invested in uh, Czech Airlines yes. uh, as well. So there, these these things are happening. Anyway, Air Berlin dead. The EU said okay that the German uh, gave a loan 150 million euros, which is why O'Leary was like, this is anti-competitive. Mm. This is state aid. 
They said it's okay because the airline is going to shut down anyway. It was to protect consumers so that they will still have some flights. The problem is that even though they did that because of what Alex Hunter, the specialist of pilots, uh, said earlier, all the pilots are leaving. So there's no Air Berlinga doesn't have any pilots. I mean, they still have, but they have a hard time actually simply going through the flights they wanted to before they actually stop the airline because the pilot said, you know what, it's the end, so I might just accept another offer. So there is competition in the market, right? <laughs> well, that's good. It's the, I mean, yeah, but again, the yeah. consumer suffers and what you're yeah, right, $150 million is only going to get them, you know, they'll get their money back I would hope, but that doesn't fix the problem for, you know, this is why travel insurance is so important. And as for the, uh, as for the, what was going to happen with the aircrafts, it looks like, and that was in the news a few days ago, it looks like that as O'Leary kind of uh, forecasted, uh, Lufthansa will get the biggest part of Air Berlin. Uh, will anti-competition EU bodies react? I don't know, because it's going to be basically they're going to own the entire Germany. Uh, we'll see about that in future episodes, but it's too bad for Air Berlin. I had never flown it. I will probably never now. Like but it's, it was interesting because with, with Air Berlin and Alitalia, you had these, and we spoke about this last time we saw each other in person, you have the vultures picking at the carcasses, right? Yeah. They're just, they just want to go in like, you know, Lufthansa and EasyJet being these preferred bidders for Air Berlin, but it's the main assets. It's, that's, that's it. And in many, you know, as I said to you, it's not the people. It's not the people. It's the planes, maybe even picking up some cheap leases. It's the slots. The slots, Um, yeah, the slots. But I think in in bankruptcy proceedings, you know, there's a, someone is named that the person has to reduce the losses as much as they can. So yeah, vultures, whoever wants to buy the planes, get the leases, get the slots, you have to reduce. If you and me, Alex, were investors in our Berlin, uh, private investors in our Berlin, we want to get as little as a haircut as possible. I'm not defending mm-hmm. here. You're right in terms of morality it's, or maybe um, ethics. It's really not nice. And I hope the market is big enough so that these guys will find other jobs elsewhere. Yeah, uh, because they're not going to be onboarded in new airlines like this. Maybe German, maybe Lufthansa will onboard some. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I mean, one would hope because I, I mean, I guess you could argue that Air Berlin was a competitor to Lufthansa, where well, Lufthansa was. responsible for their demise and would benefit from their demise. I think that's another question that needs to be asked. I think that's what O'Leary was getting at of in his less than elegant way. <laughs> He's right. Um, and uh, yeah, he he is right, and I think someone. I hope that someone has a, has a look at this, but we'll we'll see. You just hope that everybody that was traveling on them and everybody that works for them ultimately gets what they need. But isn't you see, it's it's also that big specificity about this European market. We are both in an integrated market, as like the US, but not. People still think about you know Lufthansa versus Air Berlin, so this is very still local, which is still true, by the way. And in terms of the German market, which is the most important market in Europe, probably uh, with the UK, well, yeah, yeah, Lufthansa has a grip on that market. That's it. In terms of the European market, well, that's arguable, right? (laughs) Uh, The US is is much more open for that. It's not like a, you know, a Ohio market and an Oregon market, right? No, this is true. I'm talking like small states here, but. You know, there is somewhat of a Texas market, but I mean, Southwest now is so big. No, that's true. That's 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 true. I think, I think it'll be very interesting to see how this situation finally resolves itself because there's every day there seems to be a new complication with things like Nikki, the low cost subsidiary, 
coming into play and we'll see. I think this is, this is a, it's an interesting case study for things like this that are going to continue to happen because we still haven't heard the outcome for Alitalia because they've extended the deadline for that bidding process as well. So there's two very interesting precedent setting case studies going on in Europe at the moment. Let's go just for a minute in the US uh, because I found that news pretty nice, but I want to hear your take on it. Pittsburgh Airport reallows non-ticketed passengers to go to the gates. Lovely. You still have to go through TSA, and that's the thing, because mm. as a non-ticketed passenger going through TSA, why not? At the end of it, I don't have a carry-on. I don't have stuff with me, so it probably should be pretty, pretty fast. fast. Yeah. The thing is... Doesn't that clog the the lines for normal passengers like all these guys are not here? I I don't know. Yeah, one would hope that they wouldn't have made this decision unless they felt they could deal with this small increase in in people. And you're right, they may not have bags, but they will have belts and cell phones and keys and wallets and stuff like that that will need to be taken off and go through security. But... I think it's great. There was something uh, lovely love about too. either being able to t- to walk someone to the gate or pick them up at the gate. I, that's yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. I remember those days and I miss them. Yeah, me too. Um, so I, you know, I think it's good. I, I'm interested to hear how this trial goes because I think it is a trial, isn't it? They're not saying. Yeah, this it's is a new. trial. Yeah, hey, I really hope it works. Was it not Mark who sent us that video? Was it Panam? Yeah. Oh, that was great. It was uh, a, a an old timey video of was it an internal video of Panam? But it was this wonderful, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember how when flying used to be like this. <laughs> like, you I know that flying is not great now, but just it was, you remember the things that have changed in the experience so dramatically in the last 20 years. There's some stuff that I don't miss, like paper tickets, right? And boarding passes. And people. Yeah. I mean, they might be kind of nostalgic and like it's cute to see them but that and having I'm to check in the check-in yeah. disc every time no i yeah. don't miss that I, i'm really happy to have boarding passes on my mobile phone but when it comes to what you said about going to the gates have this freedom of movement in the airport which is in that video and i'll put the links in the show notes the show notes are back guys all of them by the way uh, <laughs> the the 15 minutes i think it's 14 minutes video there's some stuff and you see like yeah, as a kid, I remember I could walk anywhere. I was in the yeah. U.S. when I was a kid for it. And I was like, oh, my God. It seems like now so distant. And yet, maybe from some of the you know millennials, you never, guys, and I'm sorry for you guys, you never seen that. But that was so magical to be able. It wasn't like a bus station or something. You could go it anywhere. It was. <laughs> and you could see the comings and goings. And you, you were reunited with loved ones that much faster and you know you would you would come out and you could wait for them for your bags together and you weren't delaying the catch-ups and all that it was it was it was nice so i really hope this works in pittsburgh that's a neat little airport it's not little it's a cool airport pittsburgh i like it i don't think i've actually ever been but first time since 9-11 i hope they keep it up i hope other airports do these type of trials because that's uh, really cool Uh, talking about security uh, this is something that's been happening since the summer. We mentioned in multiple episodes that uh, they've increased security uh, all over the world. There's actually uh, we had a discussion, I think three three episodes ago, and since then I've read that indeed that the U.S. has requested for heightened securities, more vetting in airports. So there's a reason you might have to remove your shoes and you have to have go through like extra steps. Uh, although the travel ban uh, has kind of been, you know, always kind of been kind of blocked by uh, multiple courts. There's a new travel ban in place from eight countries now. Uh, but even 
if you're not from these eight countries, which are pretty easy to, to guess, otherwise just look them up, the they are increasing security. And in Europe as well, because we've had, you know, for instance, and I know it has nothing to do with travel, but it has, for instance, this... Uh, this uh, failed uh, bombing in Parsons Green Station in London. Parsons Green Station was my freaking station for five yeah, years. Yeah, me, me too. Uh, so I was like, you, you, like kind of, <clears throat> it really feels like super close to you when you have your own station on TV. And I could actually spot my house where I was living not even a year ago. And uh, the reason here is not to reminisce about that. The reason is that it keep increasing security at airports in Europe as well. There are stocks of suspending Schengen. I mean, the UK, for instance, is not part of Schengen, but other countries are thinking of completely suspending Schengen, reintroducing very harsh security measures everywhere. And right now, the ones that are complaining the most about it are the Brits going to holidays in Europe because they've Seeing this increase in security, why? It's not normal. We're not going to Europe as the way we used to be. And I want to say, guys, you know what? Welcome to a post-Brexit world. <laughs> yeah, this is a little taster for what it's going to be like. But it's amazing because you're right. Whenever there is a, a heightened security anywhere in Schengen, they suspend it. Um, when they had the G... 10? 20? Yeah, one of these... Uh, in uh, In Italy. In Italy, they suspended Schengen right. in in and out of Italy. You're right, uh, and you realize how you know this. Remember, guys, this is what it can could be like if we if we forget how seamless we've we've made this for better or worse. So, for better or worse, Alex, and we're going to dedicate the last bit of this episode about uh, your favorite airline, BA. I say for better or worse because you said two episodes ago that you felt sorry that you were always, in a quote, you bitching about BA. Yeah. And actually, I went back 10 episodes and oh. I looked at, it's not true. You're not actually. You go through mood swings or <laughs> one episode you're like, this is super cool, BA is so fantastic about it. And the next episode you're like, this is crap, right? <laughs> so you're going through like these bipolar... Uh, <laughs> and I get it because we've said many times that an airline like BA, not only because what he represents in terms of Brand, but also because it's close to us, so we tend to fly it more than other airlines, yeah. we get more incensed or not about it. And we have like emotional responses. And there's been this Times article a month ago, a month least, and a half yeah. ago. I'm going to not quote the title. I'm just going to quote the ABBA, A-B-B-A, anyone but B-A. <laughs> and that's been the mantra of more and more people. And it's a fascinating article. It's behind a paywall, sadly, uh, in the Times. And it goes into all that Alex and myself, not that we are at the exception of the article, but we've been talking about the fact that it's an airline that doesn't know what it wants to be anymore, yeah. that has some great parts, and Alex is happy, and bad parts, and Alex is unhappy. So do you want to go there? Do you want to exemplify that with your recent travels? Yeah, I mean, I, there, I, I've been wanting this opportunity for uh, since we recorded our, not the episode with Mark, but the episode before, because I talked about an issue where it was going to take three days to actually change oh, yeah. my ticket. And I, ha I, I said this before, and I will say it again, the BA social media team are the Very best good. customer yeah. support team of any industry that I've ever interacted with on Twitter. I do agree They're with that. They are so good because I messaged them, I think, right before we started recording. And then later that day, they called me and said, we've taken care of it. It's all done. You've been reticketed. There's no problem there. No problem at all. Sorry. Sorry about the delay, which was like two hours. 
So they, they, I don't know how they do it. I know that they're all ex uh, reservation specialists and customer support that people that have been trained to do social media as opposed to social media people being trained to try and handle reservations. So they're bringing a, like decades of experience in ticketing and reservations to a, a customer facing support role. And they are so, so good. My, I don't know why I just don't DM them when I need anything. There are certain things where they need you to go through the phone security protocol. Yeah, to make sure it's but, you, yeah. But what they'll do is they'll say, you know, I'll DM them on Twitter and then they'll call my phone. The exactly. social media team and say, hey, it's, oh, they're so good. And I, they, they don't get enough love for that because perhaps it's not the, you know, it's not the, the product it's not the airline but they, they it's so good i'm i'm so impressed by them i don't i need to talk about them more no it's true because i've had recently a few interactions with a flying ba myself as well and i always you know when when people talk about you know quality of social media with airlines uh klm gets a lot of credit because they have invested a lot uh i've never actually used uh recently klm so i cannot judge on and this is very important what you say on what they actually can achieve because I, I, it's not only about how speedy they go they go back to you and how nice they are and how proactive they can be yeah. it's about solving the issue or trying to find a solution for you even maybe not exactly the way you thought you'd be solving it but they find something they always find something Delta, for instance, I used to always say that Delta was very good at this because they were one of the first ones to actually, I think, add Delta Assist. The problem is that it was always kind of like, well, we're sorry, you know, like this kind of try to gain time a bit. I'm not, yeah, the way yeah, I make absolutely. it sound is not, they very, were not very nice. you but, while, you know, without yeah. actually solving the problem. Yeah. Whereas BA, sometimes I have to wait a little bit before they will pick up of my, on, my, on my message. But there will be a solution 90% of the time. And that's actually something that is very valuable. I do agree with you. Yeah, I, I, I'm impressed with them. And I've done, since we last recorded a, yeah, a normal, quote-unquote, normal episode, I think I've done eight segments, maybe? So where did you go? Where did you go, Alex? I went to St. Petersburg, uh, which is about three hours. And that was fine. We were in business. Although, uh, I, I don't know the, uh, the answer to this. And I can't remember if I messaged you, but... You know, uh, we were sitting in, in row one on an A320, so there's nothing between okay. you and the galley and where the flight attendants crew, and of course, yep. the door. I was sitting right next to the door. The flight attendants, cabin crew, left the pin locks in the emergency exit. And usually when they do um, arm doors and cross-check before departure, one of the, th the things they do is take the pins out, and there's a little compartment in the door itself which those and they have a little flag around them that says remove before flight and they wrap them up ours stayed in the whole time it didn't seem like an issue to to, to either of the the front cabin uh cabin crew and i'm wondering is it normal I've seen i have it. no idea i've seen you know it. what i'm talking I've, about yeah. yeah because i've seen it on ba i was not in the row one but i was emergency exit i think it was on a 321 and uh they had left them as well i, I don't see think it makes you know, any very, difference you get not miss them right because of the yeah they're red, pretty you know, they're pretty big yeah. i don't i don't think it is a safety issue at all i'm just interested um i think their their role is to prevent the accidental deployment of the shoots. Uh, the, yeah, of the, the shoots yeah. while you're on the ground yeah. basically in between yeah. when you pull back and when you when you take off and then they're actually they're actually needed but anyway that was interesting Th those flights were you know, they are what they are. They're innocuous. So hold the on, hold on. Hold on, because it's interesting. Uh, sorry, listeners, to go into like a, a detail of a detail. So we're talking about one aircraft in BA. 
you said that you were in row one on the 320 from BA and there was no separation, no wall between you and the door? No. Because I've seen 320. No, it was a very old one. Um, oh, okay. On, so we are, I was in 1A. I wonder oh, if wow. it was an old BMI airplane because it had the drop-down screens with the moving map. Mm-hmm, maybe. So so perhaps it was. Um, we we went into the new term. Was it terminal or was that to Rome? Anyway, the new the new lounge at Gatwick is very good. Um, okay. Even though Never we didn't fly out, I think you just want to add that to BA as well. They did a good job. I haven't been in a year and a half, so okay, good. Yeah, it it, it was uh, it wasn't bad at all. Yeah, and we flew. We were in uh, the galleries lounge for at T five for the for the other flight out. So what what else did you what else did you do? you do you did yeah my room I think was before you FCO because you mentioned that you loved the new FCO you did St Petersburg and I think you went two times at least to the US right yeah I went to Chicago uh, ORD and, yeah uh, yeah ORD that was I was <laughs> <laughs> we will talk about ORD <laughs> that was on an old old triple seven two hundred and it was all I, I think it put me in a bad mood because it was on a Monday. And I, again, first world problem, Klaxon. Uh, I was in the gallery in the first lounge at T5, and I sent you a message saying yeah, no there seats. was not a single seat. Not one. That, hap- that happens. My, uh, was it, what time was it? Mm, it was a morning. Early afternoon. Oh, yeah. Because well, I always had that problem in the Monday morning in the throw is just a nightmare. And I mean, guys, it was, if you've ever flown T5 on Monday morning, there's even like the ramp is backed up. You yeah, need to, it's, to have 30 minutes more of like lead time to go to that airport. Anyway, it was uh, chaos. It was just so, and I I found a seat and for 15 minutes, but then I gave it to this uh, elderly couple that were wandering around. I watched them like for like 10 minutes trying to find a seat. And I said, this is ridiculous. So I went yeah, yeah, to yeah. one of the, uh, the lounges on the P, I think it was Pier C that we were flying out of and just, just left. But it was an old 777, which has those tiny ancient uh, Rockwell Collins IFE system. And it's like I pulled up the movies thing, and it were, there were four movies on the IFA. Four, in, only in the four mo- in the movies section. Yeah, only four. I was told halfway through that the movies were all in the what's new section, and there were maybe ten in there. But okay, um, so at least yeah. th- th- there were some. It was just an, it was uncomfortable. The, si- day the size of the screen because Alex sent me a picture of his hand on the screen and his hand was bigger than the screen so we're really talking about Much very old ife <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's a Alex. long flight it's, it was eight and a half hours <laughs> just because of the the routings we had to take because it was it was about three days after hurricane irma and so um, it had the winds had been catapulted up and were coming back across the atlantic so we had to go a very northern route it was fine they got me there safely you know at, but the we'll talk about Chicago O'Hare, another episode. But mother of God, that's a huge airport. <laughs> it is huge. Right? Holy cow! <laughs> and then I, I flew, <laughs> I flew JetBlue to from Chicago to uh, JFK. That was fine. JetBlue were great. It was one of their oldest A320s. But I still had blazing fast Wi-Fi, live TV, delicious free snacks. <laughs> that's uh, exactly, sorry, but that's know. exactly what you don't get on PA. <laughs> You don't get that on anybody. Uh, and then I flew another triple seven back from uh, from JFK, and these were all in economy. I, sh- I hasten to add, just to just to challenge the the folks that go, "You guys always fly in business class." Yeah, no, these were both economy both ways. It was the first time I've taken the the subway out to JFK from Manhattan. You have to change, right? You have to change and get on the air train, but that was fine. Exactly. Okay. You take the E train yeah. to 
the end of the line. The line. No, you, not the end of the line. And no, then you jump no, on the air train the air and train. it's like you just go around the terminals. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's fine. That was great. And the BA first lounge in, in JFK is getting a little bit tired. Hmm. But the, well, the, yeah. the, the people that work that front desk there are so nice. They're so nice. And they're actually in the process of redoing that whole terminal to, up, to upgrade it and make it a little bit nicer. But the, they're so proactive and they're so funny. They're so full of character. They were trying to find me an upgrade. They couldn't. And that was fine. But they were so nice. They just every interaction I've ever had with them has been wasn't Wasn't hilarious. that where, you, where the seat you were looking at was snagged by the person right in front of you? Yeah, 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 that was. That was on the way out, and that's fine, too. Yeah. Alex was messaging too. me, Paul, so what would, you re- what would you think? Because, you know, we're sometimes like unsure if we have, like, what seat we should we take when we fly economy, and he was like, we should, and he like, like, go for that one, go for that one. And then he, he messages me, like, five minutes later, crap, the guy in front of me just took it. Yeah. <laughs> like, back with the square one, with the only seat available. And yeah, you know, it was fine. It, it was nah, fine. I slept sure. like a log on that flight back. It was it was short. Um, but I am going tomorrow afternoon in business on the A380 to San Francisco. And did you it choose will be a my, seat? I did, uh, I did choose a seat. Um, <laughs> That's the back story. There's a, yeah, spent, because there's... A, I did spend way did too much time thinking about this. <laughs> because I have a reasonably tight connection in San Francisco. And I was like, okay, so do they have... Do they have the the upper deck um, uh, bridge, jet, jet bridges bridge. at San Francisco? Or do I go down the internal stairs? Uh, and then I was like <laughs> looking at pictures on the internet of VA A380s at San Francisco. Going, right, okay, they do. Then I can I can go on Seeker and find my seat. I'm that much of a dork, but I don't, I, do I cannot miss this connection. So I really I really want to do it. But it will be my first chance to try. I think the enhanced dining in business class on BA. I think they've upped the game a little bit. I know they're doing. Yeah, last time I took it was just before. So I think yeah they've they, they've they now tried announced it that, on yeah. the New York routes, and I think it's being rolled out. So we'll see if it's it's good. But it's. I like the 380. The 380, by definition, you're sure that the product you will have on BA, but pretty much on any airline, will not be the oldest because it must be 10 years at most or something, right? Interestingly, the West Coast specifically has been the subject of a lot of gauge changes, except for the 380. So for places like San Francisco and LA, where it is at least two flights a day, the A380 has remained very consistent, but the other flight has cycled between Dreamliner and 777, 2 and 300s, and 747. So it can be a gamble. If you get a, you know, a beautiful Dreamliner or a beautiful 747, chances are you'll have a reasonably new interior. But the 772s almost universally don't. I think there's maybe eight of them that have the upgraded cabins. Probably also because by definition, 380s need uh, these specific bridges, you know, for two, the upper and the lower, they cannot just put them on any airport or any route whatsoever. Right. They need to have these slots pre-reserved for 380s. We know that U.S. airports is not as if, it's not, you know, Dubai where there's like 25 380 gates. So I think once you get a 380, you pretty much keep the 380 unless you decide to, you know, to simply change the aircraft for good. So, yeah, you're, you're right. There's no change of aircraft usually when you fly 380. No, yeah, it's just the, it's, the, it's the companion flight that's actually usually later in the day that this seems to be changing constantly, okay. seasonally. So I'm interested to see. I'm taking, um, I'm taking BA back from L.A., a couple oh. of, like literally the day later. So it'll be interesting. I'm bouncing around JetBlue down to Vegas and then Southwest 
Vegas to LA. Not virgin. I can't do it anymore, man. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm, I can't do it. I, uh, and all to be fair, so the, this, the JetBlue and Southwest timings worked out for me, but I actively ignore Virgin America. Fl- I just can't. It's like it's yeah, like okay, hanging out with a with an ex girlfriend, you know, <laughs> that you're probably still a little bit in love with. It's just unhealthy. <laughs> It's not yeah, good well, for me, so no, I'm just no, going to walk away. <laughs> we'll dedicate one episode when the, uh, the brand is actually dead. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Alaska today. Uh, when we said it's going to be a more US, uh, speci- uh, Europe-specific episode. So, that are, uh, so you, since you said all these good things about BA, allow me for a few minutes to say a few bad things about BA. Again, it's true that BA has this kind of dual you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's crap. And this article, it's not only saying that it's crap, it's saying it's an airline that is going through these growing pains and a lot of traditional airlines are going through. Uh, there's even like uh, one analyst that says there, they give United a run for their money. That's bad. I mean, really, because United well, is that... not, not the benchmark you want to aim at. Uh, the airline knew its computer systems were wobbly. We're obviously talking about the big disaster that happened last May. Uh, the article kind of hints at the fact that it's not something that they suddenly discovered. They also haven't ordered enough new planes. This is why they have all these issues now of people complaining about old products. It's simply they haven't ordered new planes. They have a few of the Dreamliners, but there were a little of, of the Dreamliners. Alex and myself are super happy because we like 747s, and they say they're going to extend the shelf life of the 747, so we're really yeah. happy about it. But that's also a sign that they're not replacing the 747s by anything else. So They, they have just, A350s uh, coming online at some point, do they? Yeah, but, but that, not for like yeah, four but, uh, years? But that's the thing. What happens now is probably stuff they haven't done 10 years ago, five years ago. We are right in the middle of... There's a line of love here about... Breakdowns and glitches of aircraft have left many cabin service directors joking darkly that they are cabin sorry directors. And that's a bit true. Sadly, the staff must sometimes feel like, oh my God, how can you defend some of the stuff? Can they achieve, do you think they can achieve this dual airline thing? So uh, being one single brand BA and having on one hand a low cost product, which is what they're aiming at. We know when you look at, I'm not saying Mark and Spencer is cheap, but having, you have to buy your own food, Mark and Spencer's on board. You have to pay for more and more stuff on one end. And at the top end, like you just said, you have enhanced food in the front, better Mm. business classes coming online in two years. So do you think an airline can be more than one thing? No, I don't think a brand can be more than one thing because you fundamentally you make a promise in the definition of your brand and that promise is brought to life in the manifestation of the of the physical product or service that you're providing to your customers. So if you're making two promises, you I believe you need to have two brands, which is why so many companies have subsidiaries because they can use a different tone of voice and they can deliver a different product. But (laughs) It's hard because all the airlines, we see that all the airlines are going through that because Lufthansa has done, you know, German wings, Euro wings. Uh, Air France has done tons of Transavia, Hop, now um, June, June. the Millennial Airline. Uh, yeah. uh, IAG is doing Level. They have Welling as well. So they're all going into trying different stuff to see what sticks. But none has actually done one single brand and have two completely different products. We know as passengers that there's not the same expectations when you fly economy than when you fly first class, obviously. Mm. But that level of difference here is reaching... It's a gamble. Alex Cruz seems to be believing that he will be able to deliver on that promise to make basically two airlines within one brand. I I mean, I I can't see it working. I mean, American Airlines... 
uh, or U.S. airlines, they in the past they used to have, you know, Express or Connect or or whatever. But that was a regional thing where you understood that it was a smaller airplane, it was a shorter flight, the service offering would be different, but. And they were not their own planes. They were usually subsidiaries on license. Exactly, well. exactly. And I, you know, maybe if if that's what they're going for, are they going to append something to the BA name? And if so, then you're diluting the mother brand yeah. uh, by by again making you know drawing down the the quality by this relationship that you have with the, with the two brands. I just I don't think it's possible. You they have to figure out what their place in the world is. is. And what they stand Cathay for. have Cathay have done it. Cathay have done a great job of having an ultra high-end premium product, a reasonably comfortable and and accessible economy product and then a uh, a regional it's not an LCC but it's a regional carrier that slots nicely and elegantly operationally and brand wise now that they've kind of reintegrated them and it's so it's shown that it can be done without having to that's to brands. fight this lo- this losing battle right exactly but again isn't that let's close the loop here when we started this episode there's less integration in Europe Europe feels more always like you know there's Germany there's the UK there's the U.S., because it's one integrated, truly integrated market, the downside is that there's too much consolidation probably. So there's the big airlines are protected. The scop closes, all that stuff kind of prevents smaller airlines and foreign ownership rule to actually disrupt the market. So they make yeah. a lot of money, but people are unhappy with them. And in Europe, probably the problem is that if BA or Lufthansa, because I'm not here to defend BA, but if one of the big ones, Air France, whoever, was a truly big pan-European airline, they could have a play like Cathay, but they still have to all, you know, BA has to compete with an airline that is very similar, which is across the pond, which is called KLM, which is linked with Air France, which has to defend itself against Lufthansa, which they are probably too similar and they all vying for the same passengers. Yeah. And maybe at some point they will have to be some type of consolidation on that front as well. Yeah, I, but I think that not sucking is a differentiator. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I was, and I think that Lufthansa are doing a good job of this. I think ah, that they're, yeah. But, but, but here's the thing with Lufthansa, if, if, right? You know, we you, don't live, you, we don't live in Germany. I mean, I let you finish a sentence, but we don't live in Germany. And if you ask anyone in Germany, they'll tell you, yeah, but now I'm offloaded to Eurowings where they don't want me to be in a premium route, so they're not happy as well. Fair, but I think that Lufthansa are investing in the product across the board. So when I took my Lufthansa flight from Paris, no Frankfurt to Paris. I love the fact that there was Wi-Fi on the plane that would allow me to stream content. I mean, that's that's yeah. neat. That that's you know, I didn't mind being in a you know, what is it, like an hour and a half flight tops. That that made the whole thing easier. And that wasn't just for the people in the front end. That wasn't for somebody on a on a triple seven or a three eighty in their case. It was something that they're rolling out across the board. And but, I think you have to think in those terms. That's what I said earlier. I think BA is paying the fact that they haven't bought newer planes haven't retrofitted planes with Wi-Fi, haven't invested apparently in the IT system, they keep failing. It's for everyone. Uh, the fact that you don't have your luggage when you come to a destination, whether you're in first class or in coach, it's the same. You don't have your luggage, right? So I think this is probably the paying the fact that they haven't, and apparently Lufthansa has invested in newer aircraft with yeah. streaming Wi-Fi. They just haven't. They're using, I mean, I love like the, 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 you know, the Boeing 767. Uh, they, I, I flew it to, where was it, Edinburgh recently. I, I love it. But look, it's an old product. I mean, yeah. I, I may be nostalgic of like a white body in Europe and having like these 
very leathery. I don't even know if it's leather seats, but they're wonky, they're wobbly, did not really work. I love it, but honestly, not everybody a, will. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, know. I, and I haven't heard a strong articulation of their long-term strategy. They they put out these things saying you know, we're investing four hundred million pounds in the business class product, and that's that's super duper. But what is BA going to be in yeah. 10, 20 years? What do they is stand it going for? To, to yeah. be, you know, this to fly to serve thing? Is that going to, yeah. are we going to look at that and go, well, you're not, you're only doing one of those things and that's flying. You're not yeah. really serving. <laughs> and I think, you know, you've got to get the people involved in, in Of course, in the help, because the people, process. The, the people are, I mean, I sometimes criticize the people because I never believe into the sentence people say 99% of the people are nice. That's not true. You mean any company, it's maybe more like 90. You have always like people that are not good and should be offloaded to the company. I'm sorry, I'm not a union this year. I'm sure I'm going to get a crap from saying that. No, no. But I, I but but, but at the same time, you're right. Yeah, if, if the people do not feel empowered, they don't feel part of the values that are just marketing values put on the wall – they will stop kind of trying at some point, you know, and they still try. I'm not here talking about BA because honestly, and you said it yourself, it's not only about social media. I have had crews that were absolutely fantastic. Me too. And I'm not only talking in the front of the cabin because I flew economy as well with, with BA. That's what you want. But at some point, there's only, if I, if I put myself in their place, it's only so far you can go. At some point, if the airline doesn't care about you, and maybe we're going back to Ryanair here, at some point, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to get for the best offer elsewhere. I'm just not going to yeah. care anymore. Yeah. And I, I, there, I, one of the articles, and perhaps it was in that ABBA article, <laughs> one of them was su- suggesting that what we really need is more competition out of Heathrow. Yeah. Another, a third UK airline that, that is regional as well. And a third runway to accommodate. And a third runway. That, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> the whole slot thing. But that's a different conversation. Anyway, yeah, because we're reaching, we already talked a lot. Uh, and we both have to prepare our travels because we're both traveling tomorrow. Uh, so before we go to the next travels, Marseille, you flew actually Marseille with BA. I did, yep. How was BA on that flight? And how was Marseille? Yeah, BA were, were fine. We went with the, with the family. And again, we were lucky because I mentioned this on previous episodes. When we book, when we, we choose our seats, when it's the four of us, we do aisle, window, aisle, window, and then hope nobody takes the middle seats. Again, they were blocked and it was a very full flight. So we had these seats between us. That was fine. The, the flights were a little bit late, but for that length of time it doesn't really matter marseille airport is not a nice airport <laughs> like okay. it's not wow. it's not like a it's not you don't walk in and go wow this is cute like long beach or okay. modern like um doha or or dubai it's just a uh, very warehousey very temporary feel to it but setting aside that and it is what it is security was was very efficient you're you're through in no time to uh you know this very bland dirty waiting area with not much to eat and that's fine it, it's a re- it doesn't really matter you're not there for very long but you get the most extraordinary collection of airlines and therefore nice. airplanes Ah, like lots of north african carriers uh, of course with you know Fran- france's historic connection to that part of the world lots for some reason i don't know why if something is happening but loads of governmental airplanes from all over north africa and the rest of the world. I think there was a Mexico uh, MD-80 maybe or something like that. But just an extraordinary collection of of private airplanes, of government airplanes, of 
unusual carriers, unusual destinations that I had to look up, like the second city of Algiers, the names of Algeria, the name is, has, has escaped me. But I was like, where the hell is that place? And you, you look it on the departure board and you, you Google it. So that was, that was super cool. Also, Airbus helicopter is based there. Oh. You, when, you, when you're driving in and you kind of come in over this hill down, if you're coming from basically anywhere in France, we were coming from uh, just north of Montpellier. And you come over this hill and you look down and you see all these Airbus, huge Airbus buildings. And when you taxi out, you t- at least for when we did, we taxied right past it and they were testing a Royal Thai police Airbus helicopter and there were all these brand new helicopters all lined up. So that was really, really cool to see. It's a very unusual airport. Don't go there expecting comfort and amenities because they're just not there. The lounge, which we went into very, very briefly, was the size of my living room. It was comfortable. <laughs> Everybody there was, was very friendly. Um, yeah, it's a very local yeah, airport, so they don't need to It's a very local lounge, airport, yeah. but but there were pla- you know, there were flights to um all over the world. Maybe our French friends can correct us. I think it's the third biggest city in France. Lyon yeah, after be second. Yeah, exactly. So meaning it's still an important place. The thing is Air France has always had uh, a very Paris centric strategy. So they mm. always like Everybody comes to Paris and we fly you out from Paris, which is why probably uh, an airport like Marseille, which is again for a, a big city in terms of importance in the country, might not have been as developed as it could have been if it were another less, you know, uh, centralistic country, probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely feels that way. And, and you know, the vast majority of places that they fly to are regional. But forgive my pronunciation of this, Paul, but the airline, which is actually the second biggest airline in French, A-I-G-L-E, Azure. I don't know how you pronounce that first. Uh, Azure. So they fly to the most like interesting places like Dakar, Oran, Setif, uh, just um, amazing. So you you're like you go into all these places and you're exposed to you know these new cities and countries. And I just thought it was really cool to look out the window and yeah and look to see where these airlines are flying to. The one airport that everybody thinks about when you're talking south of France is usually Nice, because Nice yeah. covers, of course, the entire Riviera, but also covers Monaco covers cans with you know the the the, the festival that happens as well so that's why nice uh, which i've flown very often when i was younger is is most well known whereas marseille i think you were going for holidays in a region is that why you used it yeah right? yeah so i think it's because it serves that region which is by the way superb yeah and it's it's it has better um and more regular service than the closer airport to where we're going montpellier so, yeah, it, it was fine. It was fine. Again, it's not the most comfortable airport in the world. Don't go expecting amazing duty-free in restaurants. Absolutely the opposite of that. There's an airport in Montpellier. There is a, an airport <laughs> in Montpellier. Pretty big one. I'm sure that a lot of cities have their airport, but usually it's more like for like very local traffic. But I never had an idea. Okay, well. Wow. Yep. Well, uh, there you go, BA. Maybe uh, because I think you said that maybe one day BA will actually own Norwegian. Wasn't that the rumor that BA wanted to, IAG wanted to buy Norwegian? At some point? Yeah, that came up, I think, almost exactly a year ago because I said I thought it was a good idea for Virgin to do it. But I think their strategy has changed pretty dramatically since that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that initially came out. 
because I would love to have uh, other type of airlines to fly from. Not again, not because I don't want to fly PA, but sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I want to try something else. Uh, like currently, I'm I'm trying to go some. I'm I'm due to go to Madrid in two weeks, uh, and I'm try. So I, I could simply go, you know, Iberia, Iberia Express, BA, Welling, you know, the, the four ones you'd get from the UK. And I'm like, should I go to Frankfurt to try to take the Latam one that goes to them? <laughs> it's like I'm really stupid when it comes to to, to flights, guys. I, I know, I know. But but you know what? Amazingly, it's cheaper to do it this way because IAG basically owns traffic from the UK to the to. Um, they really do. Unless you take EasyJet from uh, Gatwick, which is not too bad, and Ryanair for us is real because Ryanair flies out from North London, so which really yeah, is way it's too far. difficult to get to. So where are you flying next, you? Yeah, that's I do my Vegas trip, so that's four flights, and then uh, nothing for a couple of weeks at the very least, and then a few places for attaché next month, which I will keep under my hat. I know a few myself, so yeah. <laughs> and uh, as for me, I'm flying tomorrow to uh, Bahrain, as I said. Whilst uh, Alex was talking about the airport, he, he was looking at me, what are you doing with two phones in your hands? Well, I just got the upgrade from Emirates whilst we were recording. Ah, <laughs> so, good. So I was about to lose uh, in exactly five days, uh, I think 22, 23,000 miles. Uh, and I didn't know what to do with them because that's the only flight i have with emirates planned as the flight i'm leaving today from already paid for in business class by the client so i was like well i might as well try to get upgraded uh and i have my return flight so dubai to uh london at the end of the the week or was it the weekend will be in first class on a 380 so guys uh, you can be jealous of me nice. and so i want to uh, hear all about that i know you've done it before but i want to hear more I'll take a shower for you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Guys, uh, thank you again and uh, see you soon for the next episodes. And until then, self travels. All right, guys, take care. Bye.